Shadows Literary License Podcast episodes. Ben Stokes here, exploring all things Collinsport, Maine, and following the likes of the Collins family, and the friends and foes, with your co-hosts, Tom Diamond, Jesse Fultz, Mickey Ray, and Keith Chalgo, Collins family, story about blood relations, literally. everybody, Tom Diamond here from the Literary License Podcast, Dark Shadows co-host. We are very, very happy to have today with us one of the, uh, one of the stars of Dark Shadows, Marie Wallace. Say hi, Marie. Hi. Hi, Marie. <laughs> hi, Marie. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi there. How are you doing today? I'm doing just great. It's a beautiful day in New York, and uh, what could be bad? Oh, unbelievable. Sure, it's the fall. No, there's nothing like a fall changing of the leaves. Uh, oh, absolutely. So forth for those people in other areas of the country that don't experience that, especially our international, uh, our international fandom. Yeah. Um, Marie, uh, so Marie on Dark Shadows uh, actually portrayed uh, four roles. So, uh, one of her most famous it- was the Mad Jenny. Uh, in 1897, Megan Todd. Um, she did Danielle Roger. You know, Marie, that's, that's, right. that's, yeah, 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 Danielle Roger. And uh, what was your, what was your fourth, Marie? What you see, I- I'll, t- I'll tell you who Danielle Roger was. She yes. was the spirit, the, I was the reincarnation of Danielle Roger. Danielle Roger was the most evil person way back in the, I don't know, I think 18th century France. And uh, she killed people, and uh, she was just a terrible, terrible person. She finally got killed. And uh, fast forward to 1968, and uh, she was re-embodied in my body as Eve. And, of course, I always love to say that Eve was the most evil lady who ever lived. Hmm. Well, <laughs> that was my Todd, first character. Yes, absolutely. And Megan Todd, which was your first, which was your other one, uh, is one of my favorites, certainly. And yes, and, yeah. Ma- Megan. Megan was my actually sort of last role on Dark Shadows. Although they had many more for me, but I had finished Megan because I was a vampire by then, which maybe accounts for the number four of characters and was madly in love with um, Barnabas, of course. But I slept in a little coffin that I think was made for Nancy Barrett because it was very tiny. But that's where I slept. And one day, Crazy Willie put a stake through my heart. And that was the end of Eve. But it just also was the beginning of my experience as a rep- in a repertory company because that basically is what Dark Shadows was. They kept bringing me back. Absolutely. And it's so nice to know that you have a, such a detailed knowledge of the roles you played on Dark Shadows. Um, you know, in, and I'm just saying this in general. Not every uh, star that you speak to uh, who has done stuff like this will remember their roles in that great detail. Uh, yeah. It's always a source of 
frustration, I think, for some of the fans when they go to the conventions. I mean, you know, some of the questions are extremely detailed. Now, now, why, when you were Danielle Roger, didn't you speak more French? Uh, why couldn't they, why couldn't, <laughs> when, when, when you were Eve and, 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 and you were about to let Adam really have it and he killed you, why didn't you just kick him somewhere where all you had to do was kick him somewhere and then he would have crumpled over and then you could have escaped you know that kind of thing no but i'm i'm, I'm kidding yes i know yeah but but um no but a lot of stars are caught off guard and they're saying and they have to say well listen it was just a job and i didn't really you know but but there are others who care and i find you know, that yeah. yeah tom uh, when i approach a role it doesn't matter whether it's in summer stock which n nobody will see except those few hundred people out in that area, or it's a Broadway show or a television commercial even, or a television show. I approach it with the same kind of sincerity and seriousness of anything else. And so I always do background checks on my characters. And if the writer hasn't uh, given it to me, then I create one. And uh, so that doesn't leave you because it's a kind of really a part of Marie, a part of that actor. Well, I think it's very important because it gives you, it, it, it just goes to show you from a, not just from a professional standpoint, uh, yeah. the, the work ethic that you put to the role. Uh, yeah. And of course, work ethic is defined very differently depending upon what kind of profession that you have. Uh, but uh, that's, uh, th that's, that's, that's not always a usual thing, what you're doing. And I think the fans appreciate that because it gives them a chance to, and certainly gives me a chance, uh, but, you know, to communicate with you on another level because so they see you as Marie Wallace in real life, but they also realize the character that you played and that you're able to communicate. So I, I, think, that, I, I think that's great. Uh, Marie now has done a lot of things other than Dark Shadows uh, in, in a varied career spanning uh, many years, and we're going to get to that uh, as we go along here. But first, let's start with your early life, Marie. May 13th, May 19th uh, is your birth date. It is, it is, and I was born in Manhattan on an island called Roosevelt Island. Oh, yes, and, Roosevelt yeah, Island Hospital, Roosevelt it, Island it was, it was a city, a city hospital. They were all, that at that time, right now it's residential, and while Cornell, the hospital, has um, big, you know, buildings there that do science and everything, but back then it was strictly city hospitals, a nursing home, an insane asylum, things like that. Yep. And uh, so I was uh, born right there and uh, then grew up in an area called Yorkville, which is only about 10 blocks from the bridge that takes you to Roosevelt Island. And uh, so it was Yorkville, which is an area on the east side. Some people called it Germantown. Okay. but. It, 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 and the reason I think they called it that is because uh, they had many uh, restaurants and uh, food stores and uh, different things like that that were German. But frankly, it was a melting pot, that area. It was every ethnic group you could think of. And it was quite marvelous. I, you know, a lot of people don't know about old New York. And it, in fact, I wrote a book uh, called On Stage and In Shadows. 
And it, the whole first part of it is about New York and growing up there. And I think it's it, fans always tell me it, it was so intriguing because they knew nothing about New York at that time. I think that uh, I think also, you know, like for native New Yorkers like I am, I'm a Brooklyn person, but uh, it was all, but Manhattan, of course, has a life of its own. And uh, a lot of famous actors uh, have come out of New York. Jimmy Cagney uh, came out of uh, Hell's Kitchen. And uh, actually, I think Jimmy Cagney was our story anyway, that he lived on 77th Street between York and First. And I, that he was before my time, but still, that was our story. And uh, I was on 70th Street between York and First. So we always thought of Jimmy Cagney as a Yorkville boy, but uh, maybe, maybe he was born on the West Side. I don't know. Well, I think also he lived in Delancey Street, so I don't want to start with... Uh, yeah, yeah, I right. Think they, he, he was all over the place. As, as many people kept moving there because they couldn't pay the rent, so they, they, they left one place only to go to another and skip the rent there, you know? <laughs> it was true. <laughs> Although we stayed put, so apparently my parents were able to meet the rental bill at the time. That's also in the area of New York Hospital. and It's uh, right up the street. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was... Uh, and uh, that was a very, very interesting. So, uh, in terms of in terms of growing up in in New York, uh, um, and you were in Roosevelt Island, and then you moved, uh, and then you moved to uh, that area, in, York Hill. Uh, yes. Well, yeah. Uh, how was it growing up during that? Because that was during the forties. Uh, how was it? The, what are your reminiscences about growing up in that area? It was uh, must have been really. Must have been really thriving, you know, with all the nightclubs and. Uh, oh, it was it was wonderful. I mean, there is no such thing anymore in Manhattan as a block that was my block. But many of the all the neighborhoods had it on our, the blocks now. You know, the blocks between the avenues—they're long blocks, but they're almost all residential. Back then, yes, it was residential. It was just four-story, either brownstones or tenement houses. But on that little block were so many businesses, two candy stores, three uh, bars, beer gardens, uh, a laundry, a junk shop, the Republican uh, (laughs) Party and the Democratic Party had, um, you know, small um, groups there. And uh, what else? There was a wood factory. I mean, it was unbelievable Uh, how much a a, a dry cleaner, a laundry. I mean, it it was like a little town between York Avenue and First Avenue. It's very different now. I've walked down that street to go to New York Hospital, now called Wild Cornell Medical Center. You know, they're a combination of New York Presbyterian and um, New York Hospital. And that street is just huge residential uh, buildings or stuff that's related to the hospital because they own everything. They own everything in the neighborhood, the yeah, hospital. I, I yeah. I wasn't going to ask you this, but now you've got me intrigued. What were, what public school, junior high school and high school did you go to just for Okay. Days? Yeah. I, so, so I was on that 70th street, York and first on the corner of first was PS 82. And I went there from kindergarten to sixth grade the boys were able to go to eighth grade there, but we, for some reason, the girls only went to the sixth grade. And I even remember my teacher. Her, her name was Mrs. Adler. And my kindergarten teacher was Mrs. Gold, uh, 
ghost ghost stone i think mm-hmm. although although this is funny i may be getting it mixed up with um you know my first broadway show was gypsy with ethel right. merman and right. there was a there was a song in it have an egg roll, Mr. Goldstone. And so maybe I'm calling her Mrs. Goldstone, but I mean, I know it was gold something. But anyway, we went from there to PS 183, which is still standing. My sister and I went to the 100th anniversary, not our 100th anniversary, but the 100th anniversary of the school building. And I believe it was in... Uh, 2007 or 2003, something like that. And that was on 60s. It is still standing and still a good um, high school, not a high school, you know, that upper grades of, of grade school. And so that I went to for two years, the seventh and eighth grade. And then when I graduated, I went to Julia Richmond High School, which yes. is between 68th and 67th, between 1st and 2nd Avenues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was all within walking distance. I mean, now they bus kids in. For, it, it takes so much time for the kids to come just to travel, to go yeah. to school, whereas we just walked up the street, and so you didn't waste any time with that, you know? I had so they that, were great. I, I had yeah. that experience myself while growing up in Brooklyn. I'm going to a high school, Booty Junior High School, or anybody, any of the Brooklynites, and uh, only four blocks from my house, and it was yes. very nice. I got to walk home for lunch and then walk home from school. And guess what I watched when I went, when I, when I, <laughs> I had a school, Dark Shadows. You, you ran there. home from school to watch Dark Shadows. I was luckily able to walk home because we got out at 3 and I got there at 3.15. Oh, okay. Uh, that was good. Because uh, this is funny. You know that phrase, I ran home from school to, to watch Dark Shadows? Um, everyone, I mean, it, it's not like, Someone from Dark Shadows created that line, but everyone I speak to, once they see or notice that I'm from Dark Shadows, they say, and it could be the president of a hospital or um, a workman in the street, I say, oh my God, I ran home from school to watch Dark Shadows. You know? So it's it's really an interesting uh, thing about that show. And of course, they're still running home. To, now they're running home to watch it on those DVDs, which mm-hmm. is so beautifully done. I love the one where they created uh, the entire show, which I think was over six years, something like that, and all the DVDs, and they're in the coffin. Have you seen that one, Tom? Uh, I, have, I watch it on Amazon Prime. So yes. I don't have the DVD set, but I do. Okay. Amazon Prime has all the episodes for the fans that are interested. One of our sponsors actually is Amazon. And uh, it's, uh, you know, so, so the, and of course, the, 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 marvel about, the, the marvel about that is obviously that you can now fast forward, slow frame, stop it, and see all the things in detail for the real diehard fan that you could not yes. see when you just watched it on, on TV. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. What high school did you go to? I went to Julia Richmond High School. Well, that was Julia. I'm sorry, Julia Richmond High School. Yeah, not uh, Juilliard. No, Julia, Julia Richmond. Richmond. Julia Richmond. Yeah. Julia yeah. Richmond. I, w- I never studied acting in the schools, but I got involved in, in the st- on the stage through my church because um, we had a group called the Park Avenue Players. Okay. And uh, I 
when once I found out about it, I I was a kid, you know, and um, I went over there to to see them and auditioned. And the first play I did was I Remember Mama. <laughs> and because I was tall, quite tall at a young age, uh, they took the tall ones and gave us the older roles and the little short ones were <laughs> playing the ingenues. So I played Aunt Jenny in um, uh, I Remember Mama. And that was, uh, it, it was wonderful because I'll tell you why it was wonderful. It was a non-paying, of course. I mean, it, you know, it was in a church, but actors don't work. 52 weeks in a year, right? So yes. there are many professional actors and right up to today that are not working and they don't see any work for, you know, maybe two months or more. And uh, so they'll come to these little theater groups and uh, bring their expertise. So we had wonderful people, uh, directors and people like that, that were working and working. I mean, nobody got paid, but, you know, they were... Uh, exercising their craft and I learned from that that right away because they were professionals it wasn't just little amateurs like us that were you know yeah so it it became a great um, place a great training place we even had a um, a set designer um, that was our set designer at the church in the basement of the church who later became a Broadway, uh, you know, set designer, because he was a young man when he started with us. And uh, I did a play with him on Broadway. I believe it was the beauty part. Oh, my God. Yeah, this, with Burt Lahr. Bert, oh, yeah, Burt Lahr. Wow, from Lucy the Vaz. That's yes. Incredible. That's incredible. And, yes. and this was Christchurch Methodist? Uh, yes that you went to, and you were inspired by the Reverend Ralph Washington Sockman. Uh, yes. Uh, and he was the, was he the minister there? Or, he or? was the minister from, he actually baptized me. So he was a minister from day one at that hospital, at that church. And then I received my communion there and just continued to go because our mother, you know, made sure that we got to church every Sunday and went to Sunday school. And then that's how I got into that Park Avenue Players. But he was so, he had the most glorious voice and he had the great ability to remember everyone who he had ever met because it was a very famous church and he traveled the world because he was also at one period the president of the council of churches so that took him all over the world and people would come to visit and you know how you wait online to see the your priest or minister when you finish the service and you shake his hand say good morning Mm -hmm. he remembered every single person and connected that person with his profession or something he loved or something he did yes it was smart but so wonderful you know yeah yeah so my church played a very important role in my beginnings this is yeah no this is this is great and of course also you had the ability to uh you had the ability to act which was another thing um were were you uh were you able to memorize uh well or were or like uh or like a lot of the actors uh did you have uh uh did you worked with yeah no i memory was in fact this is funny tom a lot of people would say to you wow you're an actress you're you're in 
um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Oh, my God. How did you learn all those lines? And I always say that's the easiest part of it. And why? Because just to learn the words, you could just get up there and recite. Right. What, What good is that? But it's very important. I like to know every single word of the writer's script. You know, it's only fair to him. So I really studied it, but I also, the memory came very, very easily. So um, I didn't have that problem. Some people, uh, you could see, and in fact, this is interesting because when I went in the beginning to summer stock and did roles, and there was a the older actors of the day, and they were used to be given sides. Sides means only your scene. Sometimes it wasn't even the whole scene. It was just the last three words of the other person's speech. Now you had to learn. So you were learning it out of context. You had no idea even sometimes what the person had said to you. And that's how they learned. So if you didn't give those old actors the correct last three words of your speech, those poor guys went totally up. They had no idea. You could see it. Their eyes would glaze over, you know, (laughs) and say, oh, my God, where am I? I have to tell you, though, Marie, I personally think you're blessed that way because uh, not everyone uh, is able uh, to, you know, to look – Possibly you may have had some kind of an eidetic memory or a partial eidetic memory in that you were able to, uh, and that you were able to memorize like that. Well, yeah, I know what you mean. On the other hand, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, But then when you find that out and you really want to be an actor, then you sit and you put more hours into it at home. You know, when you leave rehearsal at four or five in the afternoon, it doesn't mean your, your time of study is over. You go and eat something, and you go back to your script. Yep, yep, absolutely. Everybody has different kinds of memories. I have total recall where, I mean, I could remember things that happened to me 45 years ago, and and I've amazed friends with that uh, in terms of talking about incidents. But uh, I... It was very. It was always very hard for me to memorize, and uh, and and actually, I got caught uh, in third grade. Uh, we're doing a play, and we were up on uh, up on the the uh, these rises, and uh, we had to give. I was so nervous that I put the script in the back of my pants in the back of my pants pocket, and the teacher <laughs> caught me, and. Yes. Uh, and that was the and that was the end of that. I always felt it was better. Uh, one time they had like a little skit where you you know it was a t- it was a little TV set and it was, uh, it was carved out you know so like you know the actors were in the the, the kids were in the back. You, know, you put a couple of kids in the back of the TV set on the floor and you said your lines and and that was a lot better for me because I had the script and I could look down and uh, and I was very good with expression. But anyway, the reason I bring this up is because uh, it's it's not always it's not always easy. Uh, Jonathan uh, Frid went on record as saying that it was very uh, that it was not easy for him. Uh, no, I know. I think, uh, but I wonder when he was doing all his Shakespearean plays. I mean, that's pretty complicated, you know, in long speeches. And uh, he, I never saw him doing that because it was, you know, before I ever met him or anything. But um, it, he must have memorized those. I think the TV cameras, they, the, the cameras can be very off-putting. 
you know, yeah. and yeah. you're doing an intimate scene with one other person, and yeah. there are three cameras, and one of them is almost on top of you, and then you got cables underneath your feet that oh. nobody sees, but that you have to make sure you step over and not fall, and then you have to make sure you get on your mark. So there's so many darn technical things that you're thinking of when you're doing, especially soap operas, because there's not a lot of time for rehearsal. Um, so the, I think this, the speeches go out of your head because you've got so many other things to think about. Well, also in his case, and in deference to him, it just recently came out that he may have had dyslexia, which was not diagnosed. And uh, yeah. that, that came out in the uh, recent uh, Dan Curtis biography, uh, which was uh, uh, which uh, we all celebrated back in April. Uh, Wasn't that wonderful? Wasn't that wonderful? Always, always great. Uh, yeah. Able to make it, we had over three hundred people. Uh, they had to uh, uh, they had to use another room of the three theaters that they had. They they only planned using one of them. There was an overflow, and they yeah. had another one. And you were there, and yes. so you, you went from one room to the other uh, to accommodate the, the accommodate the fans. Uh, but it was uh, no, but but it was a marvelous occasion. It really was. Getting back now to your. Um, to your career. You were originally on an off-Broadway play and that uh, started your first professional production on Broadway. What was yes. that? Yes, and, and that was a, a wonderful experience because I, I was studying at the time with a man named Jack Manning. I was studying Shakespearean acting and, and you know, plays and stuff like that. Um, anyway, that teacher at one point called me and said, Marie, there are auditions at the Rita Allen Theater today. I want you to go over there and, and meet the directors. And I said, but, you know, how, how do I do that? What do I, what do I do? And he said, just when you get there, say to them, uh, Jack Manning sent me. And he, he said, I'll call them also. So when I got there, that's what I said. And uh, I went in and they gave me the script. It was a double bill of Sophocles Electra and Terence Radigan's Harlequinade. And so I got up on stage and um, auditioned for them, and they appeared to like me because they kept me on stage and were asking me questions. And they said to me, oh, what unions do you belong to? Because I had now given them my resume, which had all of my church group stuff on it. And uh, I think I did one one or two walk-ons on, on television, you know, up to that point. And um, so I just said, I thought to myself, they won't think that much of me if, uh, if I say I don't belong to any union. So I said, equity after and SAG, in my low, wonderful voice, you know. And they said, oh, that's, that's great. So that my little theater things, that I, I called it off-off-Broadway. I think it was the first off-off-Broadway that anyone heard of, but it was all it was, as, as I say, was an amateur group. And, but it gave me more credence, you know. I mean, if you say that in the beginning, and then you go up there and you're no good, it doesn't mean a thing in the world. But right. because they liked me, and now they, they're always, a lot of times, directors and producers are afraid that someone who hasn't the experience of the others might fall apart. It might not be, but they, they say, oh, she's been accepted by a number of places, so 
I think she's probably okay. Anyway, I got the part, and in the Greek um, Sophocles Electra, I was the Greek chorus, one of the people in the Greek chorus, but it was a double bill with a light comedy um, by Terence Radigan, and I played the ingenue in that. And um, so my lucky part about doing this production as a first, per, a first you know, uh, theatrical, professional theatrical experience was that um, Richard Burton's father, um, it wasn't really his father, it was his, they called him uncle, but um, he was neither of those things. He was his mentor, and his name was Burton, Philip Burton, and he was a great Shakespearean scholar, and, uh, and he was a director. So he directed that second, you know, the farce. So that was a lucky break. And then the pe- people who were in, in it were all very well-seasoned actors, all known in the profession at that time. Judith Evelyn, who had been on Broadway, she was a Canadian actress, and um, Frances Adler of the famous Adler family, Joan Wetmore, Murray Matheson, they were all wonderful actors. So right away I got, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be working. The better they are, the better you are. And it's a great inspiration for you to just go further. So that was a, a very nice, lucky break early in my uh, career. I agree with you. Um, we're, we're moving fast forward now to 1959, where you landed Gypsy uh, in the original production, uh, your first Broadway show, if I, if, if I remember, if I, my research That's, is correct. You're right, you're right. And how was your experience there working with Ethel Merman and the rest? Well, that, that was a great fun experience. It's not as intimate as a little off-Broadway play, obviously. You know, I think there were 52 of us. In, it was the biggest. It was the last of the truly big um, Broadway shows. They kept cutting those things down, you know. In fact, there were seven of us, seven showgirls, which is what I auditioned for and, and got in that. And uh, in later productions... They never they cut all the showgirls out. You know, a lot of the shows do that. Or if there were eight kids in the chorus, they bring it down to six, stuff like that. But this was big. So uh, I made more friends with the people in the chorus than I did with anyone else, you know. But um, it, it was a wonderful experience, and I think we ran for about a year and a half and so that was nice because, you know, many Broadway shows open and close or last two or three months and uh, then it's goodbye and you don't hardly remember anything about it. How did, you know, I was going to ask you, how did your parents feel about you getting into the business? You know, I'm so lucky. I had the most wonderful parents and family. My mother encouraged me no matter what I did. And she always said, Marie can do anything she puts her mind to. Wow. So I went out with, a, you know, a nice confidence, not ridiculous confidence, but I mean, you know, just saying, hey, I'm nice and calm and I can do it. And uh, my mother said I can, so therefore I can. <laughs> that's, uh, that, uh, I, can't, I, have, I have no comment to that. I mean, that's, that's absolutely, that's very fortunate. Again, yeah. I think less. Um, do you have any siblings, brothers or sisters? I did. Unfortunately, I'm really sorry to say I had 
not sorry to say that I had them, but I had two brothers and two sisters, and they've all uh, died. I'm sorry. That yeah, me too. And yeah. um, so one wonderful thing is um, I do have a brother-in-law who's become like a brother to me, and that is really nice. So, um, you know, and, and I have wonderful nephew. And, and that's that's great, wonderful nephews. And uh, so it's a small family that's left because most of us didn't have, you know, I and my two brothers never had children. So my sisters, Margie and Dolly, uh, both had children, but it was very small families, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so because I came from a large family to begin with, I thought I might have a really extended family, but I don't. But you know something, Tom, as the years go by, Many of my, what I think of as family, are friends. Yes. They become your family. Because yes. you, in the end, you spend so much time with them. And the, the good ones, you know, you don't just pick. Like, I noticed for myself, every show I've been in, unless it was a, like a one-night stand or something, but almost every show that I've been in, we've all been friendly. When you're in a show, it's your little family. And when it's over, it's over. But always I've come out of it with one or two truly close friends who have been friends. I call them my forever friends, Yeah. you know? And uh, so that's what I have. And from, from Gypsy, I had two wonderful friends from it afterwards. And the beauty part, um, you know, e- each show I came away with someone who was a dear friend and my friend Nancy, who I met a little before the right honorable gentleman, which is about my third or fourth Broadway show, 65. we met. Yeah, yeah we met. Oh, right, right. And we met um, six months before because we did an off-off Broadway play, and Joel Crothers was in it too. Wow. He was later to be in That's both cool. Dark Shadows and Somerset, which yeah, I was, you know, cool. yeah. So, um, so those are friends. You know, we're talking forty and fifty years. Ruth Buzzy from Sweet Charity, you know, she was just, she's my forever friend. In fact, she wrote one of the the preface to my book, and Jonathan Frid wrote the other one. That's very nice. And Gwen Burton was also in uh, Sweet Charity uh, as well. Um, Oh, and and Gwen, Gwen Burton, my two most favorite uh, stars that I worked with are Gwen Burton and Robert Preston. Robert Preston. Robert and all the other people were good and wonderful, but these two stand out as, like, just the best. Talk about somebody who could memorize lines, Robert Preston and the Music Man. Oh, I'm- and you know something? Philip Burton, I mean, not Philip Burton, um, Richard Burton, the actor, when he was on Broadway one time said, if Robert Preston had decided to become a Shakespearean actor, he would have been the best. Because his articulation was so great, and he was big, you know, and he was he was bigger than life, and he was it was just, and yet, the kindest, nicest, down to earth person. Yes, you know? yes, absolutely. So, yeah, we, we have to remember, of course, you know the, uh, the the beauty part you had mentioned from 1962. Nobody loves an albatross. Uh, and that was with Albert Pre- with Robert Preston. Uh, Rob, yes, Robert Preston was in, in the Albatross, and um, the the one before Bert, when I was saying Bert Lahr was in it. That was filled with these wonderful people. Alice Ghostly, 
Wow. Larry Hagman. Larry yes. Hagman wasn't even yeah. known at that time, you know, and um, Charlotte Ray and was, uh, yeah, no, not David Doyle. David Doyle was in the other one. But, um, you know, so those were great experiences. You know, in the 60s, the plays were still like the 30s, 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. as many characters as the writer needed to tell his story were allowed. Today, a straight show, you better have no more than five people in it. It's all down to money. Yeah. So you don't get those wonderful shows that have smaller parts and bigger parts and good, you know, leading roles, but also good supporting roles. And uh, so, so that was nice that many of the Broadway shows I did were in the 60s, so they were, they were good scripts, you know. I think that was very fortunate for you. Uh, yes. The right honorable gentleman that was with Carl Brown and Francis Sternhagen. And especially That's Fran- right. Yeah, and especially Francis Sternhagen went on to do so many things. Yes, she played my sister in it. Wow. And, uh, and uh, so did Nancy Reardon, who became my dear forever friend, you know. And, um, and another woman who was a great actress, Sylvia O'Brien. And... Uh, so, you know, it's funny. I was thinking earlier today, uh, I love the business for, act, for just for acting and just being in it. But I also love all the surrounding things that go with it. The camaraderie, the friendships, the going out afterwards, things like that. That's, yeah. that's as much a part of it for me uh, as anything. I agree. I wanted to mention, because we were talking about your uh, Jackie Gleason, uh, who you uh, had, uh, who you had uh, acted with. What was the, um, where did you act with him there? And, and you had some interesting Right. I did, uh, with him, I did Sly Fox. And Sly Fox had been on Broadway a couple of years before, and with George C. Scott, and then also um, followed by with uh, Robert Preston. But a couple of years passed, and the original idea when um, Larry Gelbhart wrote that was to use Jackie Gleason. But they sent the script to Jackie Gleason, and Jackie Gleason never even opened it. And he sent it back and said, I don't want to do any more Broadway shows. He'd had big fights with David Merrick in the last show he'd been in. He swore never to do another Broadway show. Well, anyway, as he once told me, he said, you know, they sent me the script again a couple of years later, thinking, well, maybe we can entice him. And he said, I made the mistake of opening it, and I couldn't refuse it. It was such a wonderful role. And so he did it, and we, we, did, we started it just like a new play. We went down to um, Florida where, and um, rehearsed there for about four weeks. And then we flew out to San Diego and went all around the country. Well, we were supposed to go all around the country and then come back to Florida and open up in the theater where, around where he lived. And that would have been a great opening and play there for, I don't know how long, a couple of weeks, and then come up to New York and do it in New York. However, unfortunately, unfortunately, we were in Chicago and he had a heart attack. 
and he had triple bypass surgery. So it ended our run there. And, yeah. But he, he, he was able to survive that. He did survive it and did, did well for, for years after that because when he did die, it wasn't from heart. He died of cancer. Yes. You know, and that's because I once said to him, how, how much do you smoke, uh, Jackie? And he said, I'm never without one. Wow. And wow. he would smoke the longest cigarettes and then light them. You know how some people take their, the old cigarette and put it to the new one and light, relight the cigarette with that? Yeah. 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 He would do that. And, uh, but when we were in, I think it was San, oh, San Francisco, because Joe DiMaggio was one of his friends. He had great friends, you know, you can imagine all over the, no matter where you went, we had these wonderful opening nights. And there was one night with Jack Haley and uh, Joe DiMaggio, and uh, they all came to the show, and then they all met afterwards, you know. And it was opening night in San Francisco. And Jackie said, oh, I was running around with my little camera taking pictures. I, I started being a photographer on my own for, for years, you know, years ago. Anyway, um, he said um, to Joe DiMaggio, Joe, Joe, you see this dame? She is to the theater what you used to be to baseball. You ought uh, to marry her. Uh, <laughs> so I always remember that. It was such fun, you know. And um, yeah, and, and then Marilyn Monroe had that happen. That was that was, that was uh, right, yeah. right, yeah. And um, so anyway, that that was a lot of fun. And uh, he said to his group of people sitting there, the Jack Haley's and everybody else, he said, "You know, this dame is the only one I can depend on on the stage." And then he said, "Hey, Marilyn, come here." Marilyn was his wife, and right. his wife came over and he said to her, "Honey." I just said, this dame is the only one on the stage I can rely on. Isn't that true, Marilyn? She said, yes, dear. <laughs> oh, so it was fun. He, he, was, a, he was a great guy. I, it, it, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to mention, by the way, we've been talking about Broadway, but on TV, let's remember, you were in Car 54, Where Are You? You were in the Phil Silvers show, Perry yeah. Como. Uh, Victor yes. Borges' twentieth anniversary show. Uh, <laughs> you were a lot. You were you were in a lot of the stuff as TV was just growing up. Just growing up, yes, yeah. In fact, you know when my agent called about um, now, fast forwarding a little bit to '68 um, about auditioning for Dark Shadows. I, I was that, that was my next question, and, and yeah, uh, I was up. I was up at the Hampton Playhouse in Hampton, New Hampshire, and uh, I was doing wonderful uh, plays, you know, by uh, all the great playwrights. You know, now Summerstock is all musicals, but back then they would do serious plays and comedies, but straight plays, you know, um, like Night of the Iguana and things like that. I was doing Night of the Iguana much too young at that point, but still I, I could portray those kind of roles. Maxine, the owner of the little hotel in Mexico. And my husband called me and said, your agent called and said, um, did, would you want to audition for a show called Dark Shadows? And I said, oh yeah. He said, my husband said to me, yeah, I told him, yes, of course. But you know something, neither of us had ever seen or heard of it. 
because I'm not one, I'm not a big television watcher. Mm-hmm. And so I really wasn't, I was more aware at that time of, um, of plays and, you know, Broadway and the road and stuff like that. But when I came back, I, I of course, you know, did audition for it and uh, took a while. But before you knew it, um, there I was playing my first role on a soap opera. And one of the reasons also, I never thought I'd be on a soap opera, frankly, because so many of the soap operas, unlike Dark Shadows, were very um, peeking through the keyhole type of plays. You know, uh, they, very, very naturalistic, very slow, very, you know, like that. And uh, I thought I was too dramatic and too big for it. But it was just the perfect thing for something like Dark Shadows. I thought the people that did the best on that show were people who had had stage experience. Because that was like a, not to compare the writing to Shakespeare, but still, it was in that mode, you know? And so Uh, I did very well on Dark Shadows. It's interesting that you mention that because as we, you know... uh, we're doing a retrospective of uh, the original episodes, and we we just did we just did a podcast, and very very early on, apparently Leela Swift, well Louis Edmonds had started out with the Broadway with the theater experience, and he was one of the originals, but Absolutely. it was decided by Leela Swift that you know, that this thing should be upgraded uh, in terms of the actors to get stage experience. And David Ford, uh, who played Sam Evans, and uh, later on Andre Dupre in the 1795 segment, that was, I think, before you. But, but he was really the first one that was taken with uh, with solid stage experience. Thayer David also... Uh, yes. Yes, and that's what I mean. They they were marvelous on the, those shows. You know, Thayer Davis always always reminded me of Sidney Greenstreet. Yes, yes. He was in that kind of you know mode, and and again, even those nineteen forties actors, they were great stage actors. You know, today so many people go right into the movies without ever having, not all of them, many have had, you know, like Streep, I mean, she's had fabulous stage, you know, credits and everything. But um, anyway, that helped so much, I thought, in in a production like Dark Shadows. It was, uh, I I think it did actually uh, raise it to a new level uh, because because it was played so seriously and it was and it was a repertory company uh, went back and forth between different time periods so there are a number of similarities uh, between Dark Shadows and the stage unlike the other soap operas of the time uh, which were essentially uh, kitchen sets and hospital sets yeah uh, and uh, you know, and it was, um, and this is probably one of the reasons why Dark Shadows stands on its own today. Um, I, I will never forget your first. And I was, we were talking, and I will never forget your first appearance as Eve. One of the numerous bloopers that everybody loves about the show, and. <laughs> Here you were on the table. Uh, they undraped you. You were, in the, you were under a sheet. They undraped you, and there you were in the diaphanous gown and high heeled shoes. Wasn't that funny? It's wonderful. How, yeah. how it resuscitated 
resuscitated uh, Frankensteinian-like corpse could be wearing high-heeled shoes. I, I got to admit that was a nice touch. Yes, uh, yes, I loved it. I loved it. And you know that. This uh, was fun. I A week before I was to appear on my first show there, they asked me to come in and meet the um, makeup artist, Vinny, and, uh, and see about where they would put the scars for me. And uh, so they said, well, I don't, we don't want to do anything on your face, thank God. Anyway, um, but he said, let's do one right around your neck, okay? So, oh, God, he must have spent an hour doing this. And then they took pictures of it. And they looked at the pictures, and they looked at me, and they said, you know what? It looks like a necklace. So let's forget it. And, you know, so I always say that, you know, Dr. Hoffman and the others really perfected the operation by that point, And oh, yes. there were no visible scars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they oh okay. Everything right, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, the only problem I love it. they had the evil. Uh, they had the evil Eve, uh, and that's not what they wanted for Adam. How how was it work? How was it uh, working with Robert Rodan to play that? Oh, I like that. He was very nice, very nice guy. And even not that he comes to many of the uh, conventions, but the few that he came to even all those years later it was so nice to see him he's a very nice man yeah, yeah. i liked it we we had a lot of fun i believe he went into real estate afterwards i uh, think so yeah. yeah yeah but the fans but, but of course the fans and i wasn't at that convention in la or in california where all the fans wanted to hear him was to say board of us you know that, that. <laughs> yes <laughs> the fans are wonderful. Now, you you uh, sound like you know so much about Dark Shadows, more than I know, of course. And, you know, a lot of times at the um, convention, somebody will ask me a question, maybe sometimes the other actors, too. And I might know, and I, I would say, ask Charles. He knows everything. Right. I don't know if you've uh, ever met Charles. but Ellis, one of the trivia yes. greats of the fandom. Yes, Hi, exactly. Listening. We're giving you a plug, Charles. Oh, okay. yeah, it was, it's wonderful. He, oh, and, and sure enough, he'd stand up and he has a wonderful loud, not loud, but I mean full voice, and he would give the story, and, and, and that was that. Yeah, and so that's always fun to rely on him. And I'll give him credit because he actually, you know, we, dis we discussed this online. So after... After you, and of course I'm jumping ahead a little, but uh, after you left the show, they were hoping that you could come back in parallel time. They were in parallel time, and uh, and Charles solidified it for me. They actually wanted you to play Jennifer Evans, who was being the sister in parallel time of Maggie, played by Catherine Lay Scott. Yeah. And, and in fact, they had a couple of, I think they were hoping they could get you on because they actually had a couple of scenes where Catherine Lay Scott was talking on the phone to her sister uh, about all the goings on. The sister lived in New York, I believe, which is quite coincidental considering the, your, your New York background. Uh, yeah. but very coincidental. Uh, but, uh, you know, but at that time you were doing another, another World Somerset. Uh, but really? that didn't stop you from coming back uh, to uh, dark, you know, I mean, um, as, uh, as Megan and uh, and Jenny, and uh, I'm gonna as I'm I'm gonna ask you how uh, 
How was it? Uh, let me give me your reminiscences about Dan Curtis. Uh, how it was? Uh, how you? How you? got along with him, and I understand he was a very forceful, direct personality, but that he was a visionary. Yes. I, um, well, the first time I met him, of course, was at my audition, and it was really funny because the casting director for that, even though my agent felt I was absolutely right for these, the part, um, when I saw the casting director, she said, Marie, you're a wonderful actress, but I don't think you're right for this part. But my agent was such a strong agent at that time that he was able to convince her to give me an audition. And so they, she said to me, now, you have the audition with uh, Dan Curtis, but don't feel badly if you, you go in and while you're there, he, he's putting with his putter and, and golf ball. He said, because uh, you're, you're really not right for the part and everything. Well, I said to my agent, my God, it's like getting up to bat and you got three strikes against you already, you know? Um, so he said, eh, don't worry about it, just go. So I did. And anyway, when I went into the office, he couldn't have been nicer. I auditioned for him, and he said, that's really nice. Now, uh, I want you to take a look at this scene also. Go into the other room, and then we'll call you in about 15 minutes. You can come back out, and, and then you'll also meet uh, one or two other people. And so I did, and I came out, and then I read again for him and for uh, uh, what, what was what, uh, Grayson, uh, Sam Hall. Sam Hall, who was the head writer, and yes, one of the directors, Gordon Russell. And uh, I read for them, and everything, the audition was really nice. No, no stress or anything else, really nice. And I left, and by 5 o'clock I got the call. You have a call back. It'll be in costume. Come in tomorrow at 1. We'll do makeup. We'll do, uh, you know, uh, costumes and uh, after the taping of the actual show, you, a couple of you will come downstairs and audition. And um, so we did that. And I, I, I was lucky. I sort of stood in the corner and waited for the other actors to go on first. There was a blonde, a brunette, and the redhead, which, of course, was me. And uh, so I watched what they did. and what, 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 Not so much what they did, but what he Dan Curtis in the um, control room, control booth, was saying to do. Because by now he knew all three of us could do it, uh, you know, artistically and, and, you know, vocally and everything else. But now he just wanted to see us take some direction and stuff. So there was no talking, but it was just like, uh, walk forward, walk, walk back, look over your shoulder, give us a come hither look, things like that. So... The story I heard from the people that were in the control room with him is I walked down and up and I had combed my hair by then like, like a, you know, lion's mane. It was very sexy and, you know, a real bedhead and everything. And, uh, at a certain point he said, walk down and turn around, look over your shoulder and give us a come hither look. And I did. And he threw the script up in the air and he said, that's it. Hire her. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. 
So that was fun, and that's my best memory of of dark of Dan Curtis. And many years, many years later, I went to a um, a showing of a film he did at a theater in Manhattan, um, the Walter Reed Theater, I think, or something like that. And it was a reception afterwards. This was really many years later. and he said, oh, my God, the, the, you know, you're here. What brought you here and blah, blah, blah. And then he said to me, which is also another thing I remember, he said, I always loved you, Marie. So, that's, you know, so that, that was it. And frankly, in terms of me, I didn't see him around the studio very much. I mean, after all, he didn't direct the shows, except I understand towards the end when it was starting to, I think, falter. Then he came in and was trying to, you know, but by then I was gone in my, into my other soap opera. Mm-hmm. I, I have a technical question for you because you yeah. were talking about the control room. By any chance, do you remember whether the control room looked down on the drawing room of Collinwood? I know that's a tough question uh, for you, but uh, the, the... You uh, know, I, 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 I absolutely don't. You know, I have no image of where, where that studio, where that uh, control room was. Isn't that funny? I got to figure that one out because I was just on the first episode, the very first episode of the show. Of course, it was one of the bloopers, and uh, it was Joan Bennett, and uh, she was emoting, and she was in the drawing room, and the camera went all the way up to what it looked like, and it looked like there were glass uh, viewing screens, three of them. Big oh. Glass. Three big glass viewing screens. And I said to myself, I wonder whether that was the control room. Because uh, nobody has ever caught that yet. Yeah, because what else could it be, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's what I wouldn't that's- be surprised if Catherine knows. Uh, she probably would. Maybe I should. Maybe I should ask her. Um, she yeah, was, because uh, she yeah. knows. She knows it great. First of all, she was on from practically day one, I think, uh, right up to the end. You know, so uh, I, I think well, she, not the she end. knows. Not the end. She had not to, the end. Did she leave before the yes, end? Yeah. She got married and left for Paris. So oh, they, okay. So they killed off her. Well, no, they didn't kill her off. They sent her off to Wincliffe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that was her denouement. Uh, but uh, she, <coughs> later on in the uh, Big Finish audio productions, which were out there, she, of course, she reprised it, uh, reprised the role numerous times and told them happened about that. But but anyway, that's 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 an interesting uh, thing to look into. Um, what are what are your recollections uh, of Jonathan? Well, when I was doing the the soap opera, Dark Shadows, um, I would do about two shows a week usually, and um, so and, and Jonathan, of course, was on every day, and I never went out after the show which I love to do, but in this case, I also loved to meet my husband. My husband was a surgeon, and yeah. he always operated, he tried to always operate, he, he didn't like to get up at the crack of dawn, so he liked to operate somewhere between 11 and 2, and then he'd be, go to the gym and play um, handball, and uh, then he'd often come and pick me up at the studio. Or if I knew he was going to be in a particular place, I'd leave and take a cab and go there and we'd meet. And so I didn't really get, because you get to know people, your cast often on those after hours, 
because you don't have that much time to schmooze, you know, when when you're on set. So anyway, I I never went with anyone to those uh, things. So didn't become really friends, although I, I don't mean we were enemies, of course, but we were just a good working partners. Where I really got to know Jonathan, and then I got to know him better than anyone, was in later years when the conventions were on, he was doing his one-man shows, he was starting to develop them in Manhattan and going to uh, libraries, and I supported him. I always support my fellow actors that way. And afterwards, we would go out for a dinner, often with some of the fans and stuff. And uh, so that's when I really got to know him. And then, fast forward into the uh, couple of years later, um, I ended up doing a play with him, The Lion in Winter, at the Georgia College. And he directed it, his first and I think only directorial job. And uh, so... I lived with him in the mansion, the um, mansion in Milledgeville, Georgia, and which our now dear friend David Moore arranged for us because David was the uh, director of acting at, at the college, and he's the one who was responsible for bringing in Jonathan and then finally me. And so we all got to know each other really on an intimate level at that time. And then, of course, it continued. And then I became friends with Louis Edmonds because Edmonds and, 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 and Jonathan Frid were such dear friends. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah. And, and that was important. And, and of course, Jonathan had his master's degree and his MFA from Yale. And, uh, but this was really one of the only times that he had actually directed. Yes. Uh, uh, so, so it must have been. How uh, how was it taking direction from him? Uh, what kind of a director was he? Would he let you do what you wanted in terms of, inter- or was he more of a traditionalist? Uh, let's stick to the script, uh, that kind of thing. Well, I would say um, he's a little of both, but he certainly, if you knew what you were doing and he liked it, he you're absolutely right. He didn't interfere. He just said. Wonderful. Keep doing that or something like that. If one of the kids went off, he would really, you know, take them aside and and really kind of teach them, you know, about. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so so it was, as I say, a combination and uh, and just very loving. And of course, it's very relaxed um, in a sense, uh, working in that kind of a situation because you uh, you rehearse for about six weeks because the kids can't work until after school. No. So we're yes. working like from, I don't know, I don't remember if it was seven to 10 or six to nine at night. And so you only have this cluster of three hours, you know, to do the work. So, but extended over the, the six week period, added up to a good amount of, of time. So um, it wasn't stressful in that, you know, you were rehearsing for eight, ten hours or something like that. And then, yeah, so so uh, I think we all uh, profited by that. So there was a lot of fun and, and leisure time during that period. Very different. I'm curious about Roger Davis now. Roger Davis was Peter Bradford, uh, to which Eve... 
<clears throat> was smitten by because Danielle Roger, the yes. uh, um, you know, uh, was in love with the Peter Bradford character, and then when Eve ran into him as Jeff Clark, she just, oh my God, you know, and then that was yes. the, any any possible any possible attraction she might have had to Adam for Adam. That was the end of that. Uh, how how was it? How was it working with him? Uh, he, he was fine. He was a, he's a good actor and he's an impulsive actor. So sometimes you weren't quite sure what he might do, which sometimes on stage is a little more interesting than on camera when you must stay within the guidelines of the lens, you right. know. And, uh, but uh, as I say, he always gave a, a very good performance. And the only time I got really mad at him, and we laugh about it now, is um, when he kept telling me to get away from him, get away, because I, I really was aggressive, my character was, and um, never did this in rehearsal, but on the taping, he, which was, after all, shown, it was just as if it was live, because we never re-taped anything, um, he not only said, get away from me, he pushed me, and I went flying in my high heels right out of the frame oh wow and, oh, and wow. i was so mad at him you know afterwards i said why'd you do that and he said oh i didn't mean to it just sort of came upon me and so i was really mad at him for about a day or so but uh, you know as i say in later years we just laughed about that you know it was not terrible yeah, Roger. I'm a big I'm a big fan of Roger because of what he has done professionally in his career, and uh, he's also been interviewed uh, for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he was the first uh, star that was interviewed uh, for his role in House of Dark Shadows, which was a separate podcast that we did oh. uh, before before we started doing the retrospective, and and uh, and he will be coming back, but. Um, uh, you know, but. yeah, no, he's great. He's, he's you're absolutely right. He's accomplished so much and in so many different areas. It's really wonderful. But I haven't seen him for a while. So. He, is, he is still he is still alive and, and thankfully well and uh, yes, and uh, at uh, and he just turned eighty. Uh, oh, and, did he? Wow. Happy birthday, way, Roger. <laughs> by the way, well, I was in April. By the way, happy, uh, well, it's a, it's a belated birthday, but you're an octogenarian now. Uh, and, uh, but it's like, it's like talking to you. It's like talking to uh, the original Eve uh, or the original Marie back in the 1960s. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. That's fun. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know what's the, what I hope you'll talk about, about the CDs that we do now, which I think is so wonderful because this show, Dark Shadows, just refuses to go away, and it's so nice. It perpetuates it, these um, drama CDs that Big Finish does, and I, I guess I've done about at least I'm 10 fan, of them. I'm a fan of those. We are definitely going to mention those down the road, at least make mention of those, uh, <clears throat> because that's another subject entirely, uh, because we're doing the original series now. But, oh. Uh, yeah, but of course, you know, we're doing the original retrospective. We're on every month. Uh, and in fact, uh, your interview will be in one of those uh, episodes down the uh, one of those episodes down the pike. Uh, and uh, but the um, 
I've been looking forward to seeing or hearing that. I'm looking for. We're all looking forward to having you on here, and uh, the <clears throat> the but certainly Big Finish, uh, I think, kept the franchise alive. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and you know, and, and I'm and I give them I give them a lot of credit, uh, especially for the foresight that they had in getting the original stars to come back, even even in different roles, and they've done it for the same as well as them. You've been in at least seven of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, at least. And I, I, then I did those series. In fact, I have them. I've been so busy, I haven't opened them yet. But, uh, you know, there was it comes with two DVDs, I think, or four DVDs. I'm not sure which. They're long stories. And they're, it, it's, yes, um, yeah. Yeah, the so, anthology kind of thing. Yeah, the short story kind of things, I think. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love playing some of the new characters. I mean, it's great It's great to go back to your old character and remember everything about her. It's as if you, you're transported to 1968 or 69, or at least I am. And um, but, but playing um, some of the new people, and, you know, I loved uh, the uh, famed Egyptologist that I did in The Curse of the Pharaoh. That was a fun one. And, uh, you know, those characters are just, and the writers are good, and the, the, the production values are excellent. So, you know, I'm looking forward to doing more of them. Uh, I and we all looking, we're all looking forward to having you on there. Um, I can ask you about David Hennessy. Did you have any uh, roles? Or did you have any scenes with him? Uh, I don't believe so. I mean, I was on some of the shows that both of us were, you know, in, but I, I didn't have any scenes with him. I don't remember having any scenes with him. Uh, I knew his mother, Jean Avery, but. Uh, uh, you know, and I used to run into David Hennessy when I went to a restaurant that he ran on Madison Avenue, and I was in a play called The Lark at the York Theater, which was nearby, okay. and afterwards I would go to this restaurant on Madison Avenue, and it was a lovely restaurant, and he was there. He was a lovely uh, he was a lovely young boy, so I mean, I definitely, you know, met him and talked with him, but um, I don't think we ever had any scenes. I hope we can get him on, on the podcast. He's one of the most elusive uh, of the cast in terms, of, because, of course, he went into the restaurant business and has, uh, uh, you know, left acting. Yeah. And, but and and you know and, and of course you know I mean he had to do what was uh, best for him, but uh, many fans feel that he was one of the best child actors on the show, and uh, that we were absolutely struck. Uh, uh, we were and, and Keith, uh, Vicky, and I were absolutely struck at his ability early, early on because he was also. Yes. One of the originals, and early, early on, his uh, the way that he really played that that maladjusted brat, uh, David Collins on the show, the, you know, the kid that, uh, according to the plot, tried to kill his father, commit patricide by uh, fixing the fixing the bleeder valve on his car. That was part of the original uh, um, stuff. Well, it sounds like you're you're Tom. I think you are good competition for Charles. Charles, you know, who knows everything. I think you you and Charles know everything now, I'll have to say. Well, between the two of us, I think we're... Uh, yes, between we're, the two of you, you know everything about Dark Shadows. <laughs> I have That's the, fun. 
I have the tremendous uh, good fortune uh, as part of this podcast to now do the research that maybe I ordinarily would not have done, you know, in terms of life and everything. But yes. to do the research for this, and it's a, it's a big treat for me uh, to be able to bring the insights, uh, and, you know, and expand on the knowledge I already have of the show. But I do thank you for your compliment. I am sure there are other fans out there. I actually was speaking, just started to speak with one of them, and I don't know him that well, so I'm not going to mention his name, but uh, that's also, you know, there are some very brilliant, I think it's, I will say a word for the fans, and this is your podcast, by the way, but I will say one word for the fans that a lot of them have gone on to great personal, to great professional careers uh, in law, in medicine, in uh, business, uh, and uh, it's not like, uh, you know, the, the fan, these fans are nut jobs and so forth. Um, sure, in every fandom, you're going to have a few unfortunate uh, instances, uh, and you can't deny that. But uh, Dark Shadows fandom, in my view, has one of the, some of the most intelligent people around uh, who have uh, and, and who fell in love with Dark Shadows because it intellectually attracted them, uh, as, it, as it did me, to the complexity of the plots and the, uh, and the fact that there were four or five storylines going on at once. And you had to keep up with it. Yes. And, uh, you know, un- unlike the other soap operas at the time uh, where the only thing you had to keep up with is who's having an affair with who. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but uh, but but get, but getting back to you, what are your reminiscences of Joan Bennett? A lovely, lovely woman, and a very gracious, a most gracious woman. And you know, we had after the show. Let's see, we would, if if you want to, you could stay and watch the day show. You know, uh, uh, in the little studio, in another little, like a little living room that we had and after that for two hours we would have a read-through of tomorrow's script and just mostly sitting around the table timing it and uh finding out whether it needed to be cut or we discussing saying oh no i can't say that i said that already uh, the last week so maybe we can uh, switch it around so okay so that was it was not mandatory but they liked you to be there and, you know, you assume that everybody will come that's available. And, you know something? She never, never, never pulled rank and said, I, I, I need to go somewhere. I, I, I'm not doing it. She always appeared. And yet so many actors, uh, you know, would say, oh, I, I got a date or I have to do this or, you know, and run away. But she never did that. So I, I thought that was quite gracious because she would be, in a sense, the only one who was entitled to do that. Do you know what I mean? Because she was a big Hollywood star. Sure, absolutely. No, no, she, she was, and uh, she really, from what I understand, she was very earthy and not and not pretentious at all, even though she no. had that she did, and uh, and, and loved the and loved to dress up uh, in yes. the costumes. Um, but now getting back, let's let's for the Jenny fans, and there are a lot of Jenny fans, yeah. talk, talk to us about how you, uh, how did it first come up about the, the Jenny role to the best of your knowledge, and, and your own feelings about acting the role? Well, um, I don't know how it came up with them, because there was no question in this case 
they called me, am I available? And I said yes, and I came in and started to do it. I loved Jenny. I approached her not as a um, stereotypical crazy person, even though we call her lovingly crazy Jenny. Um, it was always, again, I did my homework and preparation, as we actors call it. And so I always worked from a very vulnerable spot in myself of abandonment and loneliness. And, uh, you know, so that was the background, not crazy, crazy, but so hurt by the abandonment of the family of, of Quentin and the cheating. And so then that, along with the makeup then and the lines helped me to create a really crazy person, but a very vulnerable one also. So you could really feel for her, you know, you wouldn't just laugh at this craziness, you know, and it, uh, frankly, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun to play someone with all those colors because, yeah. you know, yeah. the, it, it can be so varied. You can almost try anything and get away with it. So I enjoyed that. The one where, uh, I'll just skip to Megan for a minute, the one sure. where it was questionable whether I would do it was Megan Todd because Megan was more of the just straight girl next door, if you think about it, as she started. Nobody knows where these characters are ever going to go. But when it opened in the uh, antique shop, married to uh, Philip and everything, um, she was just a, a nice, simple, not simple-minded, but I mean, you know, simple uh, girl next door, I would say. Anyway, when Dan suggested it to the writers, Gordon Russell, who was a good friend of mine, said, I love her, but she's not right. She's too dramatic. She's too big. She's too... But anyway, Dan Curtis always had the last word, and I got the part. And the nicest part is I never knew that until one day about a month after I was playing um, Megan. Uh, he and I, Russell and I, um, shared a, a cab, and he, he started to tell me, he said, you know, I've got to apologize to you. I originally thought that this part wasn't right for you, that you shouldn't be playing it. And he said, but I got to tell you, now that you've been playing it for a month, you're perfect for it. Yeah, and yeah. so that, that was very nice, you know. It's it nice, he told me, afterwards and not before. And Megan, <laughs> and Megan became a vampire anyway, so I'm sure yes. that the original trepidations you have about her being a, just, a, just a regular soap opera character were kind of vanished when you finally got your chance to be a vampire. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I love being in the, um, I, I still remember it to this day, in the um, antique shop and that bell ringing and the fear I had. And at one point I went to the door and I had to close it and I closed it on my nail and it broke them in nail. Oh and, I started, oh, and I started crying. So I was crying for my nail. <laughs> but it was so perfect for the character. Because I was go, I was going crazy, you know. I mean, My mentally, you know, not crazy like Jenny, but I mean, you know, it was just so scary, and I really was scared. Okay, I I I I, I agree with yeah yeah. Apparently, uh, you break a nail, and uh, I can I just know from personal experience. I know I know women that um, uh, one in particular who does not want me to open my mouth, but, uh, but God forbid, 
God forbid, he's breaking the hill. God forbid. Uh, yeah. it, but I know exactly where you're coming from. Uh, yeah. But luckily, the fans did not notice you breaking the nail in the blooper. They, they would really have had to have been looking with a microscope. But, but you, yeah, but you know, it's not a blooper because it's what you do on stage. You use what happens to you, and that's what makes it so alive. Uh, and that's with the beauty of doing it on tape and not, not cutting one thing, because it's just as if you were doing a little pr stage production. That's a good point. I, I understand that other actors did have, <clears throat> did, would, did go to Dan and say, oh, come on. I mean, do, do we really have to use that? I really screwed up in that scene. And Dan said, Are you, I, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to remember this. Nobody's going to remember this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And look what and look what happened. But the bloopers are the most enduring part of the show. But you do bring an interesting point uh, to the issue. I mean, you know, this is just part of this is part of real life. Life in uh, you know, art yes. life, and uh, and the other way around. Uh, so so that's that's certainly that's certainly very novel. Um, you when you went to uh, another world, Somerset, uh, you portrayed. Uh, let's see. Who India, India Delaney. Now she was evil. What was the, yes. were you able to, could, could you just elaborate on that very briefly? And I mean, yes. was there anything of your dark shadows characters that you were able to transpose to that role? Yes, because India, I always said, was a cousin of Eve. Huh. Okay. Oh. So she, um, she was different in that she was gracious and educated and all of that. But, I mean, after all, here was a woman who, when her father-in-law was killed, she testified against her husband, as if to say her husband probably did it. Nah. I mean, she, 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 was, she was mean. But the lovely thing is I oh, tried again to find some of her soft spots, which I did. And, of course, um, at one point, it, this is towards the end when – she divorced him and got married to this other guy who tried to kill her. <laughs> Chuck, I've forgotten his, his character's name. Anyway, um, I, was, I was able to find the nice, vulnerable things about her because that's something also I was taught with by early teachers. You know, he said, um, you know, even if you were playing a killer or Hitler, you know, or anybody, there's got to be something in that person that loves a cat, maybe, or um, there's a warmth in the most evil of people. And so it isn't that she was so evil, but I mean, she, she, she was out for herself, you know, type of person. But yeah. I tried to find those few vulnerable spots in her that made her human, because there's no such thing as one particular quality that anyone has. That's very, uh, no, that's very true. And yeah. of course, on the guiding light, you were uh, John Z. Lafitte. Wasn't that that was such fun? I they, that character. I mean, unfortunately, it was very short lived. You know, it wasn't like a contract like those other ones. You know, uh, but I was on for you know a short period. But uh, I remember one line I I said to somebody, "Hello, I'm John Z. Lafitte, woman of the world." <laughs> <laughs> oh god 
it was funny, but it, but it was a lovely character because she could be as fancy. You know, I remember I went to a wedding and I think it was Rorick. What was his first name? Um, something Rorick. I worked with him in The Right Honorable Gentleman, too. Very fine actor. I uh, played his girlfriend. And, you know, we had beautiful. It was like a southern wedding with the big, big... Um, picture hats and gorgeous gowns and everything. It's nice to wear those lovely costumes and just be charming. And of course, I made her, you know, of course, a Southern Belle because of just a couple of the lines just made you feel, oh, this is a Southern lady. I understand. <laughs> Marie, that's great insight uh, into what we were talking about. Um, I understand that you have uh, a new book out, which uh, and I'd like uh, you to tell us all a little more about it and uh, where we can get it. Oh, great. It's actually not new, but it's, it will be new to many people that have not seen it yet. It's called On Stage and In Shadows, and it's available on Barnes & Noble or Amazon. But the really best offer... I think, is online. I have a Facebook page uh, entitled On Stage and In Shadows, the same exact uh, name as the, play, as the title of my book. And on that, you find a wonderful offer. Price-wise, it's good. And it includes a personal letter from me to the, per to the person buying the book. And... Uh, uh, a printout of two wonderful Dark Shadows pictures with me and Humbert Estrado and one with Peter Bradford and then a uh, nice headshot of of me. So, And all of them are autographed personally. And uh, I'll tell you, I even if I have to say so myself, it's a really interesting read. And uh, it has a foreword by Jonathan Frid and another one by Ruth Buzzy, my dear friend Ruth Buzzy, that I was in uh, Sweet Charity with. And at the end, it has a summary of the work that uh, Jonathan Fritt and I did with David Moore at uh, the college uh, in, uh, where were we, Milledgeville, Georgia. So anyway, anyone who might like to know a little bit more about me can get it. Uh, through that on stage and in shadows. Well, I'm sure we're all going to look forward to reading that, and thank you very much for telling us about that. You mentioned Humbert Allen Estrada, and I'm glad you did. Uh, yeah. because I was going to move on from Dark Shadows, but tell us about your reminiscences with him. What a marvelous, what a marvelous actor he was, the personification, the devil himself. He, 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 did, he did so much for the show. Tell us about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And again, he had that extra part of him that was vulnerable and soft. I mean, his character, he had it as a person, but his character, as evil as he was, and that hairline that he had, you know, coming down the V on his forehead, and, just, and he was so handsome and lovely voice and a wonderful actor. And uh, so anyway, he was a lot of fun to be around, and, and I liked him very much. Uh, Eve liked him very much, and so did Marie. 
the best scene that I remember was when he was hypnotizing you uh, to go back as Daniel Danielle Roger, and he did that whole ceremony with the candlelight, uh, the only candlelight in the room, and he was intoning, uh, and 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 you played it so well too. You were just looking at him like he was so glazed over. Yeah. You know, and and it took it must have taken concentration because you know I mean some of those scenes I mean you play them so seriously but then you realize and you just have the you just have the inclination to laugh but you have you had such and and you do see that by the way in some of the other uh, bloopers uh, early on in the show uh, that you know some of the actors or actresses just couldn't help smirking and some yes. of the that happened but you were. You were so good. I mean, you were so, uh, you, you didn't move a muscle. <laughs> Thank you. And I enjoyed that. But I, oh, I will never, ever forget that scene because, as I mentioned maybe earlier, that there were a lot of cables on the floor. And so you had to watch your step. And, uh, of course, it was a long, narrow studio. So sometimes the next scene you were going to be in, which was a half a m minute later, was way down the end of the studio. Anyway, that was true that day. And I had to not only run down, jumping over the cables, also had someone following me, throwing a cape on me, an extra wig and a little cap. And I got to the place that I got immediately into my spot and the camera just turned on. And I kept hearing this whisper. <laughs> and I could say, oh, God, that's that hairdresser. She's a wonderful hairdresser. But she, why be, you can't be that concerned just because, you know, a curl is out of place. Why is she continuing? Then all of a sudden I heard this loud stomping on the ground. And who was it but a stagehand who came right up to me, pulled the hat and wig off me. It was on fire. I was standing in front of the sconces that had candles and couldn't feel it, couldn't hear it. And she was trying to tell me that. And he, so he saved me. So I oh never forget God. that, you know. Oh, my God. That was really, really quite something. So there was a time where you had to stop tape. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you talked. To, I'm glad that you talked about that. Uh, uh, they actually, of course, is one of the other bloopers early on in the show, and uh, Jonathan and Alexandra Mulkey as Vicky were talking in the drawing room, and there was a fire in the back, uh, and they were trying to put it out. And you actually hear uh, when you listen now to the to the thing on Amazon Prime, you hear this shh while they're. <laughs> and that's the fire extinguisher. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but they went through the scene like pros, like it didn't exist. While all the while they were putting out a fire backstage. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I think there was some some blooper that they kept in, of course, that uh, like over the cre or under the credits, behind the credits, was done right over a set, you know. And I think it was Jonathan Frid walking, holding half of his costume, walking across. Yes. Now that's in my head, but I don't re exactly remember. Was that the it, 18, Tom? It was the 1897, and it was while they were rolling the credits. And the yes. dressing room was that little door right off the Collinwood foyer, if you recall. <laughs> right. 
led to the dressing room, and he didn't know the <laughs> he didn't know the cameras were rolling, and yeah. so. So he came, he was still in 1897 costume, and he came with a bunch of clothes on his arm, right across the screen, <laughs> as they were rolling the credits. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. You, That's you great. Can't, you can't make that up. You can't no. make it up. No. Mean, just, uh, uh. One, of the, one of the classic scenes. Do you recall going to the rap party when the show finally finished up, or unavailable during that uh, no I, I I didn't because I wasn't in touch any longer you know they um, kept trying to get me back for a fourth character and even um, what was his name Henry Henry the director Kaplan. would call me and I said yeah Kaplan and he said you know we want you to come in I said I can't I'm in another soap opera the, you know you, you can't be in those two soap operas at the same time and uh, so then from once they really understood that I was not going to come back, uh, break a three-year contract for something that could have lasted one week or one year, who knows? Um, so I was out of touch with them, so I, I didn't even know about it. So no, I was not at that point. How did you, when did you hear that it had been canceled? Do you recall anything about that and your feelings at that time? I, I really no, don't I? As I say, back then I was back into my, you know, my my uh, particular show that I was doing, and the other show was a thing of the past. I mean, nobody ever dreamed. I mean, I don't think the people on um, uh, car, uh, you know, Jackie Gleason's show, The Honeymooners, or uh, any other show like. Uh, What's his name? Uh, my dear friend Larry Storch's show. F Troop. Um, F Troop. Nobody dreamed that any of these shows would be playing in 2020. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 40 and 60 years later. So, um, you know, you would say, oh, that was great. It was wonderful. It's over now and onward and upward. So, I didn't. No, I, I didn't follow it. To give Larry Storch credit, and I know he's one of your dear friends, uh, you know, and you know, F Troop was only on for two seasons and didn't have a chance to gain the fandom that Dark Shadows does. But it's still, but F Troop is still remembered as, I mean, we all watched it as kids. And, and but you know what, it, Tom? Uh, when we go to conventions, other than the Dark Shadows convention, you know, like I was at the Chiller Theater, and Larry has such a um, a huge following. It's amazing. No matter where we go, when wherever we go, if we walk on the street together, people know who he is. So it, it's just amazing, you know. Well, I certainly, yeah, I certainly would have recognized him. And what I liked about Larry Storch was his ability to do various characters uh, oh. in the age role. Great, great, great. He does a Cary Grant. He does, he does everyone, Humphrey Bogart. You know, he's, he's got a wonderful ear. He's, he's terrific. He's funny. And uh, I was recently at a party with him. I don't know if you saw the pictures on uh, I, I Facebook. I think, I think yeah. yeah. And you know what we did? We did, I, I don't know when it was, six years ago maybe or eight years ago, we did um, love letters together. Oh, wow. And I really enjoyed that. And uh, it was fun because, you know, at that point, he wasn't going to be doing a play, you know, memorizing a play and everything. But Love Letters is a terrific um, piece for people to go. And 
and see, and it's, it's full of emotion and everything, but you don't have to learn the lines. I mean, I knew half of them. I think most people know half of them when they do readings. You know, you have to, so you can look up and you're not buried in the in the book. But sure. still, it's it's not the, the uh, stress of having to learn every word. And so we did it, and fans of his came, fans of mine came, just regular people came, and uh, it, it was really quite delightful. Well, you know, that, that, that's certainly incredible. And it's, uh, you know, it's a tribute to you that you've had the uh, fortune, the good fortune uh, to have uh, to have accumulated uh, all the professional contacts as you have over the years. And, uh, yeah. and, and I'm going to, but, but now I'm going to go back to the fact now when uh, in the 1980s, you went to LA on a television assignment. You yeah. were uh, making guest appearances on Fame, Fantasy Island, uh, appearing in commercials. You were pretty, yeah. you were pretty busy. Uh, I was quite busy, yes. And it was, it was interesting, Tom, because going out to L- L.A. where nobody knew me, um, it felt sort of like I was starting over. So, I mean, that wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing because I, I had to go and sort of reestablish myself and meet new agents and casting directors and stuff like that. And, uh, and also drive a car, which I didn't do in New York City. And, uh, you know, and it, it, so it was uh, like a very big learning experience. And then I was able to be in touch with actors that um, I had worked with in New York. So many of them moved to L.A., you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, but of course, I never did, you know, for a permanent thing. I, I was there for two years, coming back and forth to New York, but basically out there. And uh, it was really fun. But when I had to decide between, I, I couldn't really see myself keeping two permanent addresses, sure, sure. you know. So I said, which one? And I, I thought, my, my life is really in New York, my family, you know, and friends and deep friends. So... I came back to New York, but I was very happy I went. And as I say, it was it was a, a lovely learning experience. So it was very, um, it, it had a very youthful kind of um, push to it, you know. I'm sure that it, I'm sure. No, I'm sure that it wasn't. It was a good phase, I think, in your life. Um, you then apparently you then went into professional photography, uh, yeah. which you were successful at. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and, and it wasn't like I put acting aside, but I thought, you know, I wasn't working like every day, and photography had always been my passion. So when one person, a friend of mine, who was working up at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center, said, you know, they're always looking for another photographer up there. Maybe you might like to meet the person who runs the public affairs office. So I did, and she started giving me assignments, and I got more and more. And um, so I began doing things for their newsletter, for their uh, annual report, and that was really a lot of fun. And it's hard work because you're standing on your feet and running and trying to get the the best shot, you know, and uh, uh, because they would give me assignments of galas that – the big stars would be at, and that you had to make sure you got everyone that was important 
and plus the stars and plus, you know, people from the hospital. So anyway, but that kept blossoming because I do a, a particular event and meet somebody from another organization and they say, oh, do you have a card? I give it to them and then I'd start to work for them. So it, it was, um, uh, it, it became my second career and uh, I, which I thought would just be a little something here and there, but it, it truly blossomed. And it was interesting because I never went out looking for a photography job. They sort of just kept coming to me. And uh, so I, I enjoyed that very much. I, I don't do that anymore, but I did it in between shows and, and going on the road or even going out to California for a convention and take off a particular amount of time. And uh, so it was a very nice fill-in uh, between jobs. And, uh, of course, it was, you know, taking my passion and making a, a little money out of it, too. And talk about the small world, as we were talking about. And of course, back then, <clears throat> I was, uh, excuse me, I was uh, doing investigations uh, for the state medical board regarding negligent physicians. And yeah. one of my contacts there was Lois Sharkey, uh, who was mm -hmm. the risk manager there. And I don't know how we got onto that topic at one point. I think we were just talking about, you know, in general, People we knew and might uh, know, yes. Record. And she says, and, and I told her about Dark Shadows, and she said, oh, Marie Wallace, I know her. I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It was fun being up there. You know, the vice president of Baby's Hospital or something, I'd be at one of their big parties, and, you know, someone like the vice president of a hospital would say to somebody, she was on Dark Shadows, you know. <laughs> it's sort of like you didn't expect that in a place like that. So and it was always the, fun. That's my point exactly, that, you know, that a lot of people who went on to professional careers uh, watch Dark Shadows, uh, uh, you know, and that's... Uh, yeah. And actually, that came back to you. So that was certainly uh, an unexpected. That's an unexpected plus. Um, let's not forget that in 1999, you were on One Life to Live as Molly O'Day. Yes. Uh, that was, uh, that was, how was that experience working with the One Life to Live cast? Well, it was very nice, but you know, now, by now, it was an hour show, not uh -huh. a half hour show, uh -huh. and it was now no longer done the way Dark Shadows and Somerset did it, you right. know, which I love much better than the way they do it now. Today, they do it similar to the way you would make a movie, but they have neither the time nor the kind of money that movies have. So they're kind of in between both, where the nice thing about doing it the old way and it only being a half hour was that throughout the day would be equivalent to a, a week's work in summer stock and at the end of it culminated in the grand show. So that you would rehearse in the morning, a dry rehearsal, then you'd go down to the studio and do a run through, then you would do a dress rehearsal and in between each you got notes from the director and you got and you were having a little makeup put on and trying on a costume and this and that until the end at a half hour before we were going to tape it, um, another notes and everything and then uh, five, four, three, two and you're on. So uh -huh. there was an excitement about it, and you went from beginning to end of that script. Now, by the time this 
do show. It wasn't a do show, but it was new for me. Um, so I, I arrived there at seven in the morning, was having makeup put on at that time, then rehearsed, then said, okay, let's go to the set. And it was just, uh, so I did that, that particular scene and another scene that was later on. So there's no continuity. Whereas, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, so you do all the kitchen scenes, scenes and then you do the bedroom the scenes. They yeah. were done out of sequence, yeah. Yeah, totally out of sequence. So you couldn't run that emotional things, which which makes it harder, I think. The other I way... I think it's a lot harder. I think uh, it's a lot harder. That's yeah. why I admire movie actors so much, because there's so much waiting, so much waiting time, and you're in your makeup, and you're in the uh, costumes and everything, and but there's waiting because they're fixing the lights and the team two is, is standing in for you. And then you finally go on and you just do one little scene or one part of a scene. Then you stop and you have to go back and do the beginning of something that happened before that scene. Mm -hmm. So that's when they do it well, they do it very, very well Yeah. because that is not easy. No, it's still a big deal. You know, the actor, the actors and actresses now have to memorize their lines. Of course, they this time now. By that time, you can stop it. You can stop the take, and they can do it over again. But but still, uh, to memorize lines and then to be losing the continuity when you're doing scenes out of sequence, that's kind of rattling. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess if, if that's how you started, you'd be used to that, you know. But I had the comparison, and I could say that it's nicer to do it the other way, in sequence. I, 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 have, I definitely agree with you. Um, I do also want to mention, uh, you, you know, when you, you, of course, did the national tour of Sly Fox with Jackie Gleason, which you were talking yes. about. But you also worked with Robert Goulet in Charisma. Yes, yes. And, now uh, that one we did, it was a summer tour and then we were to go on and across the country and then open on Broadway. And it would have been a great thing had we gone on tour, except we had a few problems with Robert Goulet, I must say. And um, so the Hammersteins pulled the rights from the uh, producers and said no. We're not going to go across the country with this oh. because it won't work. And um, so, unfortunately, uh, that ended. But it was a wonderful tour of, you know, various... Um, we were in Florida. We were in Miami, I think. Uh, and we, but, but we were in all the very big theaters. We were in... When we were in uh, Georgia... We were in the theater of the stars. I, I mean, I don't know. It holds five thousand people, or and we we did the um, in uh, Missouri. What, what's it called? The opera, uh, Muni Opera, Municipal uh -huh. Opera. That's uh -huh. an outdoor theater. It goes so far back. We ran up the stairs. It, it it seemed to me it was like a half a mile. I mean, it was so huge, and uh, so it, it was. You know, exciting to go to all those places. Very tiring because sometimes you work seven days and then flew that night and open the next morning in next day in the next state. So that it's very it's 
tiring, especially in the heat, especially yeah. outdoor theaters, you know. But it would have been fun to pick it up and do this national tour. But as I say, um, there were, let's say, artistic problems with Robert Goulet. Okay. And so we didn't do it. But Jamie Hammerstein, who was the son of Oscar, was our director. Wow. So all of that was very nice. And I have, like I said before, always one or two great friends coming from it. And uh, in that show, I have a wonderful friend in Charleston that I visit all the time, Nancy Eaton, who had worked on Broadway. And uh, she was, you know, a dear friend. I mean, a good friend in the show, as everybody else was, but became a dear friend and uh you know, came to see me. In fact, even when I was in the show with Jonathan Frid in um, Georgia, came with another friend of hers as an artist, Nancy. I mean, uh, Linda, Linda Vincent, who's an artist. And so all three of us are very, very dear friends, which means, uh, what is that, 30 years or something that we've been friends? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. You've had, no, you've had a great career. Um, we're going to start to wind up, but uh, Marie, what are, you, what are you doing nowadays? I know that you're as busy as ever, and uh, we, uh, and to the fan, I'm so happy that this finally, uh, we finally got the chance to talk to you because uh, for, uh, for a few, for a little while, Marie was, uh, Marie was doing whatever she was doing, and we couldn't connect. She and I, and we finally did. So, what are what are you I doing? I know. What are you I doing? know, Tom. This is wonderful. We. This has been a fun uh, talk and, and interview, and, and being with you. But um, yes, you're right. I'm very very busy. It's more personal than um, theatrical, but uh, I still do some things in the theater. But um, and, and of course, I still do my photography, but this is more for now my own amusement and amazement. And that is great fun. And I spend a lot of time traveling, visiting my friends, my dear friends, because now I have the time and I can spend time with them and whatever family I have left, my small family, to visit yeah. them and talk with them. And so yeah. I'm just enjoying life at a little more leisurely pace, but still extremely busy, but in the most wonderful way. And I go to the gym a lot and I do chair yoga and I read and just, uh, you know, enjoy the fruits of my labor. Jim meaning, what, Jim Pearson uh, or Jim? Uh, what did I say? Jim? Oh, I go to the gym. No, I meant G-Y-M. But I meet Jim Pearson, too. That's a lot of fun. Whenever we're in the same town, we always have dinner together or get together with him and his little wonderful dog that everybody on Facebook, I think, thinks is my dog because I just show him and his name is Bongo. He's so cute. Bongo is already the yes. official mascot of Dark Side. I know, but uh, I have another little dog that I love, and that's my brother-in-law's dog, and that uh, dog's name is Cha-Cha. Oh, sweet. <laughs> very, very I, cute dog. My two cats, when they were alive, were named Barnabas and Angelique. And oh, really? <laughs> that's so cute. They had personalities just like them. Uh, my male cat, Barnabas, was the Barnabas of 1795 before he became uh, the vampire. Jonathan portrayed the Barnabas back then as a very innocent, naive, uh, 
privileged uh, guy uh, in the in the shipbuilding family in Barnabas. My cat was innocent, and naive as anything, and he was he was he was wonderful. And Angelique was just like the Lara Parker Angelique. She oh. would she'd give you a look. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so imaginative, Tom. See, you would you'd make a good actor. Well, I guess you are an actor. You do a lot of um, voiceovers, I think, right? I do. I am dabbling in the voiceover business. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's fun. But you you did your background work on uh, on your characters, on your cat's characters. That's well, great you. fun. Well, thank you. No, 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 no. That's very true. So I'm just going to mention for the fans because she did. Uh, Marie did mention Big Finish, so she has essentially been. And she mentioned Curse of the Pharaoh. Then there was the Dollhouse, Beneath the Veil, Beyond the Grave, uh, Bloodlust, uh, which is a new one that is a new series that has just come out. In the twinkling of an eye, Blood and Fire, Love Lives On. Behind Closed Doors, and the anthology that she mentioned was Phantom Melodies, A Face from the Past. So these are all things that I recommend to the fans who are getting into Big Finish uh, that they especially look. Of course, you should look for all of them. There are over 60 of them now. But uh, definitely uh, uh, Marie has made her contribution uh, to that, uh, to the audio genre. In yeah. The, in keeping in keeping the flame, and uh, this is and this is something I uh, I heartily recommend. Uh, oh he, yes, uh, thank you, Tom. And I just wanted to say great. that I'm that not, of course is one of the things that I I always look forward to. I'm, I'm looking forward to my next one, which I'm hoping will be soon. Do you do, do you have any information on that yet? That you could share with us? I know. Uh, Okay, no. it's proprietary. So that's yeah. fine. But just remember, that, just remember, everybody, that she's going to be on. And Marie, before we end, do you have anything you'd like to say to the fans? I will say to the fans, thank you for being our fans and friends. You've been wonderful. I think the fact that we're alive, so much alive today, Dark Shadows is, is because very much so because of the fans' enthusiasm and love, both for the show, our characters, and for us individually. It's really a very warm, heartening feeling. I, I love you all. Thank you so much, Marie. And everybody, uh, we look forward. Marie, by the way, maybe we can have you back again one of these one of these times to you know to, uh, if, if if you're available. It has been such fun interviewing you, and uh, I, you have made tremendous contributions. Not just, and I'm not BSing here, but you have made tremendous contributions not just to Dark Shadows, but to the acting field in general. And I hope they, and I hope you're noticed in other areas outside of the dark shadows genre uh, for that. Uh, but uh, this is uh, it, it's very heartening. Okay, everybody, until next time. Well, she's all you'd ever want. She's the kind I'd like to flaunt and take to dinner. But she always knows her place. She's got style. She's got grace. She's a winner. She's a lady, oh, 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 she's a lady, talking about that little lady, and the lady is mine, but she's never in the way, always something nice to say, what a blessing, I can leave her on her 
me. 